Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. So, we like said there's a lot of topics that are touched on in this episode and probably will end up go, you know, touching on on multiple topics as we go tonight, but um one we wanted to or, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about um is this custom that is mentioned is it, is it actually came up a little bit last week about talits and it came up sort of more strongly t- um, tonight about this minhag this ashkenazi minhag um, for unmarried men not to wear talitot now this comes up in the case of amir who continues to wear his talis he was married you know but then he um he ceased to be married. And that's actually sort of its own question. This comes up with head coverings as well for women who cover their head if they get married. I mean, this came up here as well. If, um, you know, if a woman was married and then gets divorced and now is back in the dating scene, should she continue to cover her hair because she was married? Sort of similar with um, Talit a little bit, you know, in here, they, they note Amir's Svardim. Svardim wear Talit from Bar Mitzvah, period. There's no minhag of not wearing, no custom of not wearing Talit um, until you're married. But it is a pretty prevalent um, custom. And it's, and it's one of these things that's there's not really significant sources about. The first uh, mention of it we have is from the Maharil, who is an Ashkenazi, um, you know, in the Middle Ages, um, you know, posek, but he writes about it not as like a thing that should be done, but as a thing that is that he has seen done in his area that men who aren't married um, don't wear talis. And we see in some later sources, like the Mishnah Brura, who's a 19th century um, commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, who says this is like this is terrible. Why are men not wearing a talis? Like you're above a bar mitzvah age, you should be wearing a talis. Um, but again, it remains, I would say, the predominant custom in Orthodox Ashkenazi communities, um, you know, for men to, to who are not married to not wear a talis. So and, is that something? Oh. No, I was just going to say, and in some conservative communities, I think that it just it just depends on whether or not you're, you grew up in a house where when you got your talis, you were told you're going to wear this for your bar mitzvah, but then you're not going to have a talis until, you know, you're married. Um, I know that I went to rabbinical school and grew up with some men who would wear a talis on the bima, like if they were davening or, or leading something, but it was not theirs. So they would borrow someone else's. So like at their bar mitzvah, they wore their dad's or something, um, but then they didn't get one until they were married. So they didn't have their own until they were married. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we're not just going to talk about that particular minhag of, uh, of Ashkenazi men not wearing talis. I think, you know, we can talk more broadly about talis and sort of the way that talits, I mean, you know, there's numerous sort of dimensions, though, you know, in talking about, um, you know, men and women and sort of the, you know, th- is this a commandment? Um, or a, you know, a custom that differs between men and women. And also, I think even stylistically, like I know, you know, I have my bar mitzvah talis that, for, you know, that is still in my dad's synagogue in the library, um, which hasn't been worn very frequently because 
stylistically, it's very different, right? It's I would say it's more sort of decorative um, and and is a very different style than like the common, I guess, orthodox style, which is more square, you would say, um, and sort of bigger. And even that, like I wear a tallest, for example, when I'm in shul on Shabbos morning because of being in a rabbinic role and so forth. Um, but if I'm on my own, I typically won't. Um, but I think I mentioned the story last week, you know, that I went to my brother-in-law's shul, uh, his former shul in Baltimore, and I came in without a talus and someone quickly ran over him and, you know, put a talus on me. So it's, it's one of these things that um, there's really divergent practice around. And yet people seem to often think that, you know, the practice that they see that they're, you know, they're used to is sort of the correct, the correct practice or the, the right way to do it. I, w- I would say that also, even if you wear a talus all the time, like my siblings wear a tully whenever they're in shul. Um, and my brother at his wedding still was gifted a talus from his now wife. So that practice, which stems from a custom of not wearing a tully until you're married, still is practiced at a wedding by certain people, not by everybody, to still be given a talit that then will be used kind of as your talis moving forward. Um, and his bar mitzvah talis was used as their chuppah, but he was given a talit by his wife um, at his at his wedding, which actually has a very sweet story. My brother's a big baseball fan. And he has always wanted a jersey for some guy. Um, and so he, <laughs> thank you for laughing. I have no idea who it was for. Um, but he, my, my sister-in-law, his wife, put, had him turn around to like have a moment in his talit. And in, when he, she turned him around, she took out instead of a talit, a jersey and put it over his shoulders. And he thought, in his mind, oh, this is a terrible talus. It's going to be too small. Why is it this weird fabric? And then obviously he realized what it was and she gave him a very beautiful talus. But it's a, it's a very, can be a very cute moment, but it's also a very sweet moment for people who choose to do that at a wedding, even if they've worn a talus up until the day of their, of their marriage. Also note, and I'll you comment on, on some of the chat that uh, you know, I saw Norm's chat, which I'll um, talk about in, in a moment about sort of like the sociological dimension um, of Talit, which is very strong. Um, before I mention that though, I wanted to, um, I don't know if I might cha- lose my chain of thought. So I might get to, you know, first I'll talk about Norm and then I'll, oh, and then I'll say what I was gonna say. So Norm talks about, you know, the sort of the sociological piece about why, you know, wearing a Talit and no one talking to him. So that's certainly a, you know, a prevalent thing that when you, you know, when you go to a shul, especially in, in the more, you know, I guess old style synagogues where women were up on the balcony and men were down below, right? It made it really easy to know who, who's available and who's not. <laughs> Cause you, you, from the, from the cheap seats up on top, you can look down and see who has a talus on. And, and there's even an idea with the talus about sort of putting it over your head. Um, and so with that, they're sort of like, okay, well, all those people are out. I'm not interested in them, or I might be interested. In, you know, it's, it's easier than finding a ring to see if someone's you know wearing a wedding ring, especially so, from the cheap seats. Especially from the cheap seats, exactly. So, um, you know, so there's that piece as well, which frankly might be part of the reasoning that this custom developed. 
um, and not being about, you know, halacha or really the where it's sort of derived from is the juxtaposition in the Torah in, in Deuteronomy of the commandment of wearing a, of wearing tzitzit, of wearing, you know, f- fringes on your garments. And then immediately afterwards, it talks about if a man marries a woman and comes to hate her and, you know, wants to divorce her and so forth. Um, but that's just the position of, you know, if a man, you know, uh, p- you know, wear fringes on your garments. And then if a man marries a woman, so that seems to be where, at least the Maharil, the sort of earliest source that we have, um, who mentions it, seems to derive it from that juxtaposition of, because it says wear talit and then says when you get married, so we only wear talit when we, you know, when you get married. When I you, did want to talk. Uh, what was that? When you get married and if you hate the woman, you have to finish the sentence. Right, right. It goes on if you hate the woman. So. But I, um, but I think that this goes back to a conversation that we've had um, previously about about just like the sociological aspects of garments and and what you wear and if you cover your head and if you don't cover your head and the story about you going to Joel Shul and someone giving you a talus, right? Like, I think that that, um, it just proves that if a woman is to be sitting in the cheap seats, which I'm never going to let you live down that you call them that, that if you are sitting above and looking down and a man just like happens to not be wearing a talus because he either just got there or he forgot it and doesn't want to wear one of the shul ones, you know, whatever, that you you might have in your mind something very different than what this person either is trying to project or even knows that he's projecting. Um, and that's a very interesting piece of Judaism that goes along with a lot of different stylings of how people dress and how people wear certain religious garments. Um, so not just the talis, but this this element of a custom of wearing a talus also plays into that in a very, in a very interesting and I, I would venture to say problematic way. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, um, I guess, make two points. One, the, the one that I was going to make before, and then one in response to Michael. Um, you know, you keep dropping things in the in the chat. It's great because it, you know, uh, gives me things to respond to. So Michael's talking about um, making talisim in camp, and I remember when I taught in Atlanta. So in Atlanta, there's like four at least four Jewish day schools. There's a reformed Jewish day school, a conservative Jewish day school, a sort of community slash modern Orthodox day. Well, I guess now it's more modern Orthodox and a more like say right-wing Orthodox. Um, plus there's probably more, but I, I had friends who taught it, most of them, you know, including one friend who taught at the reformed day school. And they, for, I think it was eighth grade. It might be seventh grade. The, Juda- the Judaics curriculum for the entire year was making the talis for the entire year. Um, and it was like really, really in depth about like working, learning fabrics and learning to work with fabrics and learning about knots and tzitzit. And it, like that was the entire curriculum for the year. And then designing the talis and learning how to die and learning, right? It was like this really, really in depth kind of thing. Um, and this friend, you know, who I think at first kind of liked it because it was like a year long project. And eventually she's like, this is ridiculous that for like my seventh graders that there's no other Jewish content the entire year in their Jewish day school other than making a talis. And at one point she asked them, like, if they plan on wearing this beyond or other than their bar or bat mitzvahs. And they all said, no, no, we'll wear for our bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. <laughs> and so it was like this idea, like the entire year. 
and like fine, yeah, they got to learn different skills about of dyeing and tying knots and whatever. But like this whole project culminated in something that they planned on using once, but not and some of them not even once because they were going to wear the one that they got in Israel. You know, their parents got in Israel when they, when they went there. So uh, that yeah. No, before yeah. I go to our next topic or next comment, I just want to say that I I teach girls how to make tally toad all the time. It's the way that I first felt comfortable as an adult wearing a talus was making my own. Um, and so I've done that a lot with girls. Um, actually, Hannah might have been in my class once at Ramat. I teach girls at Ramat how to make tally tote. Um, I also have done it in religious schools. And I think that there is something, I've never done it for an entire year, but I think that there is something very powerful, especially for girls, learning what goes into the the kavanah, the intentionality around specifically the tzitzit and the tying of them and the um, what the rabbis intended for people to kind of have in mind or at least not be doing while tying tzitzit onto a talis. Uh, because for girls, again, I can't speak for boys because um, I'm not one and I also haven't taught the class to boys, but the, the idea of a girl really owning the mitzvah that that she doesn't even know to be hers and being able to make that garment somehow feels much more attached to her uh, than than just being given one. And so girls who have made them at Ramah with me or elsewhere talk about how they don't always feel comfortable wearing a talis, but if they are going to wear a talis, they will wear the one they made because it feels like a blanket almost like something that they were given that is a security garment uh, that they can wear and that changes the mitzvah for them it changes it into something that is comfortable as opposed to something that they were once ostracized from from doing sorry your second comment yeah well I'll keep delaying that second comment um, to respond to the Friedman's point so there's two different, when we talk about wearing a talis or wearing tzitzit, we're really talking about two different things, um, right? So it says in the Torah that you should put tzitzit on the corners of your garments. Of course, most of our garments today don't have corners. Back in the day, right, it's much easier. I'm not a big sewer, um, but, or tailor, but um, it's much easier, I believe, to sew a garment with corners, than a kind of rounded garment. But nowadays, most of our garments are, you know, are rounded. So you might think, and you might even say, you know, the mitzvah is to put tzitzit on your four-cornered garments. If you don't have a four-cornered garment, there's no mitzvah of tzitzit. Um, but then you're missing out on the mitzvah of tzitzit. It says, you know, you you should look at them and um, be, it says in, uh, in numbers when the mitzvah of tzitzit is mentioned that, you know, you, should, you would look at them and remember that, you know, remember God and it stops you from straying after your heart and so forth. So we, you know, most, let's say, Orthodox men or men who keep this mitzvah wear tzitzit, which are, you know, is a four-cornered garment that's typically worn throughout the day under your clothing. Um, So, right, so I have a talit katan, or or it's usually just called tzitzit, um, that I wear under my shirt every day. And that's sort of always on, and that's regardless of whether or not you've been married. And you, you know, you fulfill the the mitzvah of wearing tzitzit, you say the bracha, and so forth. Um, then separately from that, there is an additional minhag of wearing a talit gadol, 
a big talis during shachri, during the morning service, when you say the Shema, because you're supposed to hold the corners of the garments when you're saying the Shema. Um, and that's the one specifically that we're saying you don't, you know, or there's a, uh, there's a custom not to wear um, until you're married is specifically the talit gadol, the, the tal, you know, the, the big talis and not the tzitzis that are under your clothes. When it comes to blessings, there's actually different blessings for them. So if you only wear one garment, you say, Baruch Hashem, And that's the blessing on wearing tzitzit. When you put on a tali, a talis, a talit, you say, Baruch Hashem, who commands us to wrap tzitzit. Um, and that's because the talit, you know, the, the big talit is something that you wrap around. You're actually supposed to, you know, when you say the blessing, wrap it around your head, um, you know, sort of close your eyes and wrap it around your head. So the mitzvah there, there's this strong association with wrapping, with putting it on or around your head. So, um, yeah, so that's, so there actually are different blessings. Now, if you're only putting on one, you know, if you're only putting on tzitzit, you only say the al mitzvah tzitzit. And not the lihita tef but Um but yeah, so we do actually have two separate, two separate um, blessings for that. Okay, I'm gonna get to the se- that second point now though. Of one value of not wearing a talit until your your wedding, and uh, Rabbi Schatz mentioned this custom of you know the bride giving the groom a talit for the wedding. She was talking about her sister-in-law and her brother. One reason that that's helpful we might not have thought about is that there's one blessing that people really want to say under the chuppah at a wedding that is not part of the wedding ceremony this comes up a lot people feel like this is a a blessing that of all times to say this blessing this would seem to be the time anyone have an idea of what blessing i'm talking about no this has never come up for you i have no idea what you're talking about okay so often people say, at my wedding, I want to say Shehechianu, right? It feels like the Shehechianu blessing about Shehechianu v'kiyamanu 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 God has you know, kept me alive and sustained me and brought me to this day. I was um, going to say that. I just think it would have been that obvious. Okay, so Terrell, Terrell's on board with me. I we have nine other brachas we're going to say. <laughs> you I, there's what? We have nine other brachas we're going to say. We have lots of other brachas. Yeah, nine other brachas. But, but people feel like if, if, there's, if ever there was a Shehechianu moment, this would be it. This would be the time to say Shehechianu. Well, especially for people who get married every year. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Um, so anyway, so this is something that, has, that comes up often that people say, I really want to say Shehechianu at my wedding. And you say you say Sorry, it's not part of the wedding ceremony. As strange as it is, we don't say Shehechianu at, at a wedding, except that you can say Shehechianu on a new garment. And so mm-hmm. I've seen this done that, you know, the bride gives the groom the, a talis and then, you know, it's a new talis and then he says the Shehechianu at some point and that's sort of like, okay, now it, it works. I said, she, you know, you can say Shehechianu on a new talis but not on getting married. So, or on a new shirt for that matter. Um, so, yeah, I've seen people, like, utilize that little loophole to get a Shehechianu at their wedding. I You've have, never seen this? I have never heard Shehechianu at a wedding, ever. Interesting. Okay. And I've never gotten that question. Surprising. I've heard that come up numerous times. So. Hmm. Never heard that. 
Renee just, <laughs> Renee just asked, um, did we mention the stain on the talus and why? What do you mean why, Renee? Like, I don't know whether it was just like a stain, like he's momish spilled something on it or whether there was like some significance to it in relation, in relation to his marriage. Um, I think that he just spilled, I mean, unless you read more into it than I did, Rabbi Pernick, I think that it just was that his talus was dirty and he didn't know what to do with it because he, when he was wearing a talus, it was when he had a wife and she knew what to do with it. Um, but now that he had a dirty talus, he didn't know where to take it or what to do with it. But Debbie has an idea. I actually don't even know that there really was a stain on there. I think it is a metaphor for his guilt that he feels about having sex with his ex-wife. Mm. And because he's shown us before that he has these weird kind of, this weird sort of fantasy life. Mm. And um, I think it's a metaphor. Mm. Yeah, it could be. I mean, definitely there's guilt around the talus, right? Because then when he goes, when we see the last episode, uh, last um, moment in the episode where he's in shul and he's not wearing a talus and he kind of looks around to see if anybody else is noticing that he's not wearing a talus, which obviously no one else cares. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's, I guess that's possible. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I mean, I, it occurred to me also that there was a, a psychological uh, shtick to it, and yeah. especially when he had that dream about it, too. Yeah. That kind of reinforced to me that that was some kind of a, they were doing some kind of play on it, but I didn't know if even separate from the play on it, if there was actually like some kind of a religious thing that, you know, the woman is supposed to throw coffee on a talus or something on a talus when they decor. I don't know. It was that would be awesome if that was something that was like part of the get ceremony, like throw throw coffee on a talus. Um, no, it's well, not because like 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 Josh was saying that in many communities, in many kahals, the the man doesn't wear a talus until she's married. So if by the same token, if he's now no longer married, so they you know it's a it's a way of permanently or could be a way of permanently making him not be able to wear that talus anymore. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, oh, go ahead. No, you can go. I'm just thinking, you know, now, so I certainly understood it to be symbolic, um, but I'm interested in Debbie's point about it perhaps being, you know, totally metaphorical and there actually not being a stain, which isn't something I had thought about before. And I'm sort of in my mind replaying the scene at the laundromat where he seems to be making a big deal of it. Like, is, is it going to be okay? And the guy's like, yeah. And like, and when the, when he gives it to the woman who works there and she kind of takes a glance at it, it right it doesn't seem like she's like oh look at that big stain i'll have to like scrub it or whatever but i don't right? think he's worried about it because of the stain i think he's worried about it just like when you take a talus to a place right. in los angeles you're worried they're going to undo the knots because they don't yeah, have yeah, yeah. no I, right but I, I yeah but i'm wondering about just the way that she kind of like glanced at it like if there was actually a stain there, if it was totally oh, a figment of his imagination. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I love that take on it. I hope you're right. Because um, yeah. it's it's a much more interesting take. Um, Esther asked a very interesting question. And because I've never heard of Shehechiano at a wedding, I'll let you answer it. But she said, isn't a wedding ring a new item? So when a bride, at least, is given a ring, isn't that something you could say Shehechiano over? Right, except we, there's already a thing that we say when we give the ring, right? that it's right there's like a line that we say when we give the ring so if we wanted to insert shahianu into the ring giving process we would have you know it would have been inserted presumably into the ring giving process you know instead we say the hooray um and so forth but could, um, you, could you if 
Now we're getting to a whole another topic, but I'm curious of your answer. Could you, if you're doing a double ring ceremony, even if you do it after the ketubah as like an exchange of ketubah for ring, could you do it there because there doesn't have to be a phrase said? I guess that's also a question I haven't looked into about whether you would say shehechianu on a new piece of jewelry. I mean, you certainly can, meaning I know that you say shehechianu on a new garment, or you yeah. can say shehechianu on a new garment. I don't, I have, I haven't seen it discussed about, you know, we don't just throw around blessings willy nilly generally. You know, you have to make sure there's a legitimate reason to recite a blessing. So, like, even though you don't, we don't think in our days of it as a big deal. It's that, you know, we have sources that say you say Shehechianu on a new garment. Now, keep in mind, for them, getting a new garment was a much bigger deal um, than it is for us. Um, this is right, so norm- mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm not sure when it comes to jewelry. I haven't seen it discussed whether you can say Shehechianu. And I, I would so think... Norm, if it- norm is writing exactly what I, what I was mentioning, which is that when... We don't have to get into this. The man says hare ox. The woman doesn't necessarily say anything. Right. Well, the woman doesn't have to necessarily even give a ring. But if she decides, if they decide as a couple to have the ketubah given to her to then be able to give a ring to him, then definitely harayat isn't said, but, or harayata wouldn't be said, but could you use something? I mean, people come up with phrases all the time to say. I don't know. Let's look into it. I'm interested. As long as it's not a blessing, right? I think the question is, can you insert a blessing in a time that's not pres- the prescribed time but to say that blessing? Thing, then why is it not a blessing? Then why can't you? It's not a new garment. And again, I know we say you you say you can say Shachiana for new garments. I don't know if you can say it for new jewelry. Okay, we're gonna look into it. Okay, um, Michael wrote something about uh, yeah, Rachel, funny Rachel Salston. Yeah, so. It is mandatory at JTS to wear tefillin for both genders. Um, it is not at Ziegler. Uh, a female can't wear tefillin one morning with repercussions. Of... Oh, okay. I was <laughs> before I read that it was. It was. It was, uh, it was at the time. This was long ago. Uh, it was considered a very negative incident, and. Yeah. An order came down, thou shalt never be allowed to do that again in the conservative movement. Little did anyone know what was about to happen a few years later. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because at Ramah, I think I've mentioned this in this class before, but at Ramah, every year that I worked there as any kind of leadership, um, we had conversations about if we're going to make this mandatory for men, should we also make it mandatory for or not men, but boys, should we make it mandatory for girls? Um, and the answer has always been no at the Ramah that I grew up at. Uh, and that's part of the reason that I responded to Norm's question the way I did, because I think that, yes, it is normalized, but it is not, it's still not seen as something that's done by all girls or all women. And so the few that do it are, are, few and far between and also pop up in all these different places. But I will tell you as a female that growing up in a world where you heard very, and you've heard me say this many times now, where you, where you grew up hearing, boys, you must wear kippah, talit, and tefillin, and then nothing was ever said to the girls, it's hard to then decide all of a sudden by yourself that you're going to start wearing those things. So um, talit is definitely one of them. For me personally, tefillin is much more substantial in that category than than talit. But 
um, and keep up probably all the more so. Yeah, Renee, you have a question? Yeah. I looked it. I looked it up, and on this source called altcore.org, I don't know how legit it is, but it says women say shehechiyan and engagement rings, but not on wedding rings, and yeah. on valuable candlesticks, and men say shehechiyan on a on a new talit, but they don't say shehechiyan on tefillin. Right. And the only items of attire that get a shechian are those that are worn for enjoyment or importance. It's subjective. What, what's the source for that, Renee, that you said? Outtorah.org. Outtorah.org. Okay. Um, I mean, that sounds about right. Again, I don't know if they're saying. Oh, Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, I think that's right. Um, I'm just. Probably OU, so I think it's probably right. Oh, OUTORA.org. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. OUTORA.org is, uh, I can't, I can't disagree with them because yeah. <laughs> whatever. We're no usual. So, yeah, no, but that, that seems accurate. Definitely. But interesting that if you decided that it had some kind of value that you could say it on it. Yeah. If it, so, so if, if the husband decided that it was, that it was in that category, you could say a shayachianu on it. The Meaning, o- if the if the woman gives her gives the husband a ring, yes, she could give him a ring, and he could say shayachianu. Yeah, I mean, it seems like from this, yeah, yeah. Seems, okay, That's I didn't follow that, but yes, I, th- I mean, if I- the woman, right? If it's a double ring ceremony, yeah, the woman can give um, the husband a ring, and he could say shayachianu. Like but no, on the wedding rings, no. It says engagement ring. Women say it on engagement rings, but not on wedding rings. For a woman, for for a woman, woman. though. It's woman. Not, it doesn't it's, say anything about a man saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just Oyutora. Oh, <laughs> and, and then, well, you know, normally, you know, that's because yeah. in, yes, they would not be considering a man getting a ring at a wedding. So that's why. But we can get into this another time. It'll come up, I promise. Um, okay, back to Tali Tote. I saw someone else had a hand. Or a question? No? Went away? Karen did ask about toilet paper, but we have to first make sure that we've gone through all of Tali before we get to toilet paper. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah Leonard. I'm, I'm looking at a, a website over here called jewishideas.org. Uh, not quite clear who these people are, but it appears to be an Orthodox website. And they quote various authorities here regarding whether or not Chiachiano should be recited at a wedding. And I guess it's not surprising. There's a lot of different opinions, including Shiachianu should be recited, or Shiachianu should be recited below Shevu Malchut. In other words, you don't mention God's name. Or Shiachianu should be recited, but practically we're not sure when to recite it, so therefore then we don't. And then finally, Shiachianu should definitely not be recited at a wedding. So take your choice. Sounds very Jewish. I mean, and that's Jewish. So that website is um, is there by Mark Angel, who's like very sort of closely. So we would put him in the box of my yeshiva if we put him in a box. He didn't go to my yeshiva, but like that kind of liberal, liberal, but like not way afield <laughs> modern Orthodox. So yeah, no, he's like a an accept, you know very much an accepted scholar in the modern Orthodox world and and. That, you know, that's a journal that they publish, the Jewish Ideas and Ideals. Um, so, you know, yeah, but I mean, I think that's because it, with, the, with the wedding, with a traditional wedding process, it's sort of very, we, you know, we have all the steps. The steps are very clear. Uh, you know, there's Kiddushi, at least for like the, the 
ultimate traditional wedding, you know, you have ketubah and then you have kiddushin in which the man gives the woman a ring and says, hare at and so forth. And then kiddush, and they drink wine, kiddushin's done. Then you have um, chuppah or nisuin and put the shavabrachot. So it's like if they, if, if we wanted to have shechianu as part of the standard process, it would have been plugged in there. But once you start adding other things beyond the standard, now suddenly you have room to add in potentially other blessings, potentially other, you know, items. Like you said, if someone said, I want to give my husband a ring and I want him to say Shehechianu there, like that seems like something that should be reasonable. I don't see that should be a problem. Um, but I know like, well, actually I remember my friend, my friend Levy, that was like the showman for his wedding. He, I think he already was, had been wearing that tallest for a couple of days, but he like put on an, you know, it was a new suit or something like that. And he was like, you know, that's, uh, this way I get to say Shehechianu. Um, so there is that kind of, that holding on to that idea. So yeah, good, uh, <laughs> good little, uh, tangent there into, the, into laws of Shehechianu, which is always fun. Um, anything else about Talis before we can, you know, sort of open it up to other questions or things from the episode we want to talk about? Like dating multiple people at the same time. Just gonna stay away from toilet paper. Or toilet paper. I'm happy to talk about toilet paper. <laughs> okay. You know what? Yeah. No, you can, you can do Go for it, Rabbi Schatz. I don't know. Do whichever, dating. Choose whichever secondary much, topic you want. They to were much more interested in dating two people at once than they were about toilet paper. Okay. I care about the toilet paper, but you should do your dating two people business. Go ahead. Um, I mean, I don't really have that much to say about it. They, uh, <laughs> they quote from, from uh, Rav Aviner, who's like a big contemporary Israeli rabbi about dating two people at the same time. I mean, like halakhically, it's not really a thing. Dating's not, dating's not really like a, a thing halakhically. So there's no reason you couldn't be dating multiple people at, t- at the same time. It's more, um, whoever was saying before, I forget if it was, is it, I'm going to forget who said it about sort of the like romantic, the rom-com setup kind of situation. Um, like it, it, practically it's, it might be unwise, especially to people who might cross paths with one another. Um, you know, who you, you know, might invite both to a Shabbos meal or, or things like that, um, you know, and, and so forth. But halakhically, there's, I mean, there's no reason you couldn't other than the possibility of something like this happening or, you know, both people finding out and, and dumping you at the same time. But that's, uh, you know, but I also uh, think there, there's something very different and I, and I'm being serious about this. There's something very different about dating two men in that world than dating two men in a modern liberal, um, no, you know, no worries about Shomer Nagia, no worries about Yichud world. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you're dating two men in that world, you're going for coffee with two different people, right? You're not, you're getting to know them for sure, but, but it's not the same kind of intimate dating that you might expect from two people, you know, in the Pico Robertson, well, maybe not, and in the Los Angeles area, um, who are just dating people, uh, in which I think that, that when, when we talk about dating, we have to kind of qualify what are we saying, right? That there's not, she's not doing anything wrong by having coffee with one guy and not, and having coffee with the other guy, except for the fact that she's not honest, right? She should be honest about that. That's the biggest problem. But the fact that they both come to Shabbat dinner, you know, it's, it's weird, but it's not, 
there's nothing wrong with it. She's not doing anything wrong. It's not like she has an intimate relationship, you know, a sexually intimate relationship with both of them. She's just getting to know them both. Um, and so I think that it's just, it's important for us to make those categorizations because it's a very different kind of dating world than the world that we would, we would imagine um, here. Yeah, Barbara. I disagree with you. I don't think that it would be a girl's responsibility to tell two different guys that she's seeing somebody else. Uh, the, the fact that she was stupid enough to invite them both for dinner and they both first said no and then they said yes and they both showed up. That's stupidity. That's plain out and out dumbness. But I don't, I, I, I don't think I, when I was young, yeah. I don't remember if I was dating two guys that I ever told the second guy, oh, by the way, you got competition. I'm dating someone else too. That'd yeah. be dumb too. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, no, I to get to know the person because the only way you're ever going to find the right person unless you're an orthodox and they fix you up with someone say that's who you're going to marry mm-hmm. um in our culture in the conservative and reform i mean we're not reformed but um you you don't you have to see multiple people till you find the right person yeah, yeah. i don't i actually don't think that we're disagreeing i i i think that i, I agree with you i think that the point at which they were both at dinner <laughs> with her, I think that 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 is a moment when you know the honesty the the point of honesty shouldn't have come from what's his face from the toilet paper guy. What's his name, Avery? It shouldn't have come from him that that they were both people who she was interested in. It should have come from her, um, I think, at that point, is all I'm saying. I agree with you that if she's going for coffee with two different guys, like, okay, Hareza Meshubach, she should, you know, marry one of them and be in good health. Okay, Eileen, yeah. Just unmute yourself, Eileen. Eileen, you're still muted. Just unmute. That's okay. We can try to read your lips. Wait, you're still muted. You're still muted. You're still... Eileen, just unmute yourself. Yeah, okay. I was trying. I just couldn't do it. I'm sorry. Um, I think the difference here is that the one young man asked him her to marry him and that she asked to delay for a short time to get to know each other. So that I think that he was really under the impression that this was going to lead hopefully to marriage. So the surprise of finding out that there she is dating somebody else or, or, trying to get to know somebody else was really confusing and a bit unfair to him. Okay. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think to sort of touch on, on Barbara's points, you know, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily ca- characterize, you know, the Orthodox date and even in the firmest circles, you know, it's not usually like, this is who you're going to marry. Um, sometimes it's like, okay, you know, see each other one time and then we'll, you know, close the deal. So it's, but there is an idea that you have to at least, you know, you have to have met the person before you get engaged to them. Um, but you're right here in that, you know, from Yochai's point of view, it's like, we have this kind of intimacy for, you know, they have the Shabbos walk together and so forth. And it's kind of like, okay, great. Like, let's get married. This seems, this seems good. And she, and she says, you know, let's see if we're compatible and fine. Um, and you're right that like for her living in, you know, the, the, you know, the swamp, it's, you know, perhaps not as strange to like, okay, I'm going to try, you know, I'm going to talk to this guy. I'm going to talk to that guy. Like, 
we'll sort of I'll figure out what makes sense. But for someone like Yochai, who's sort of thinking, right, and she even comments, like, all of your questions are about marriage. You know, she's very focused on, like, marriage and the idea that she's dating someone else. She's still sort of checking out the scene, it's, you know, is it's very much in a different place than he seems to think or seemed to think they were in. So. But, but remember that Yochai is also reacting to something, right? He kissed her. He now feels badly about I don't think he regrets it, but he feels badly about it. And he is reacting. He's trying to understand how much money do you make so that when we have kids, you can be the breadwinner. How, you know, what, what will it look like when we're married one day? He wants to make sure that on this list that he has in his mind that he's ticking off all those boxes whereas when she's and I love what Norm said um that orthodox dating can actually be seen as more intimate because you really you start talking about the things that are most important to you as opposed to just kind of the the courting flirtation that can go on for way too long and yet I assume you mean Rachel, your wife, Norm. Is that what you mean? Okay. <laughs> Characterizes Orthodox Dane as almost a job interview, right? Which is, which is what we see with Yochai and Rayut of tell me how much you make. What will our life look like with children? And, um, and that's difficult. It's difficult to get to know someone when all they're trying to do is see if you fit into these categories of, you know, a to-do list that they've put together to find the person they're supposed to be with. And yet she kind of seems intrigued by it because of how different it is, right? She's used to a certain, right? She even talks about how it's like dating them is like pizza and ice cream. Like, it's just so different. Like the fact that he has no idea and is like so shocked at what she makes because she's just a totally different world than he is. He's tutoring bar mitzvah lessons, you know, is making enough money to like put food on the table, but that's it. And she's like a professional, I think there's something about that. Right? And she even says this when she sort of chooses him. Like, the fact that you don't know my world is, yeah. like, a plus in a lot of ways. It's also a negative, but it's a plus in certain well, ways, but, too. But I think we're pointing out two different things. I agree with you. I think that she's intrigued by the fact that he comes from a different world. Like, he doesn't understand the world that she lives in, that she could be someone who's both interested in being a wife and a mother, but also someone who's very successful in her job. He doesn't understand that. And and yet I I still think that the date itself is is very transactional. There's nothing sweet. There's nothing romantic. There's nothing um, th there's nothing like visionary about it. Right. It's all about what can you do to make sure that when we have a family or when we're together one day, everything will be taken care of. But I agree. I think that she's intrigued by the fact that she there's like some mystery to him that she doesn't understand yet and wants to get to know. I, okay. I'll call him Barbara in one second. I just want to add one piece, which is that I think in that scene where he's front of the, in front of the mirror, right. He's like trying to, I think the way the date falls out, I think is not actually the way he anticipated. I think he was like, okay, I'm going to be cool. He's trying out which people looks best. He's trying out different lines in the mirror. Like, I think in his mind coming in, he wasn't thinking I need to check off this list. It was like, okay, like I'm going to, yeah. I haven't dated before. Like, let me try this. Let me figure out like, how, how do I look when I say these lines? And then it just kind of ends up falling into this very transactional thing. Yeah. But I don't, I'm not sure that that was, uh, that, that was his intent. Uh, okay. Barbara. I, I think that he's extremely naive as far as dating 
because he is into the transactional aspect. But even before he gets into that, it was a major thing when he agreed to teach her Haftarah. Mm-hmm. I mean, for him to be involved with a woman in any way, almost the amount of time he spent with her, his thinking was wife right from practically the second or third time he ever dealt with her. And and she wasn't thinking that. She wanted to learn Haftarah. Mm-hmm. And 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 she was she was thinking maybe about it as they went further a little bit there but it was but like you just said i mean she was in a different world than he was in so his thinking was just completely off from what she was thinking and she was shocked at, at his thinking i think i think she couldn't even though she's religious she wasn't as religious as he was that way cuz she didn't see why she couldn't talk to a man, whereas he thought talking to a woman, I couldn't believe it many years ago when I went to Israel and I went to dinner was at some friend's place and the girl had married a guy who was super frumy and I hadn't met the guy. And at the dinner table, he didn't look at me, barely said a word to me. And as soon as he finished eating left. Now the girl's brother was also there with his wife and and I'd taken care of both of them for their eyes when they were in LA. And he stayed and talked to me and looked at me. And during dinner, I said, why are you, t- if you've gotten so frumy, why are you looking at me? Why are you talking to me? He says, how could I not? You're my family friend. You've been my doctor. How could I not do it? But the the brother-in-law the, and the husband of the, of the girl, I mean, I was in shock at seeing this. I mean, they don't even want to talk to somebody, even though they're married. And I knew he was married. I wasn't coming after him. He was way too young for me. <laughs> oh, we all know you look very young for your age, Barbara. So it's possible that he thought you were. But, the, <laughs> but the, the, the fact of the matter is that there are different ways in which, and Barbara just wrote this in the in the chat, that there are different ways in which just starting interactions are slippery slopes for those who don't know how to deal with those interactions, right? So I actually think that the moment in which Rayu kind of knew that this might be going somewhere was, I think it was the second time that she studied with him and he heard her voice louder than his own and all of a sudden that really bothered him. And what she knows from her own background and from his is that he is not supposed to be listening to anyone's voice who might, you know, um, seduce him is the word that's coming to mind, but, but might somehow uh, make her seem more attractive. And I think that that's when she understood, okay, maybe he sees me in a different way because he's paying very close attention to, to what, um, to what he's hearing, to how he's interacting with me in that kind of a way. Um, you said something else I was going to respond to, but that's all for now. Sure. Uh, Rabbi Pernick, sorry. Um, no, I mean, I think obviously I, you can keep on talking about that, but I think that, you know, I think that largely kind of covers what I would have said about, um, about them, you know, for me, I think the moment was when she says that she's doing it, you know, because of her father's yurt site, and it's this, and he talks about, you know, how he lost his father, and that's kind of this point of connection that you get the sense that it's not a regular, yeah. you know, teacher-student kind of thing. There's like a, there's some deeper levels of connection here. Yeah. But any other sort of last 
points or questions um, to close with before we call it a night? There's another program happening for Beth Om right now, which is why some people had to leave. Nice. But What's you guys happening? are awesome anyway. Thanks. What's happening? <laughs> There's a sisterhood event right now. For Rosh Chodesh. For Rosh Chodesh. Okay, but what, before we, yes, but yeah, okay. Um, I to go to that. Do you, I can definitely send you the link. Um, any final thoughts, questions, counter sermons, comments? Rip toilet paper before Shabbat, everyone. <laughs> it was my topic. I was excited about it. Now you're going to leave us with your thoughts? Make sure you rip toilet paper. Even our region. Is Wait, is that a real thing to rip your toilet paper? Yes. Oh, is it a real thing? Yes. yes. Absolutely. We will talk about it next week, even if just for a brief moment, because that was not nice or fair. We will talk about it next week. Because I want to know Rabbi Shatz. Looking forward to hearing what you have to say about toilet paper. Thank yes. you. Yes. And especially if you don't rip enough. Hi. <laughs> there, are, there are rabbis who go into that because they had nothing better to talk about. So they talk about okay. it. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. See you in the morning, Rebecca. You want to know. Important topic. But send me, please. Thank you, Josh. Uh, Rebecca, send me that thing because I did forget it. Go to the one, the TBA for the week at a glance. It's on there. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah, cool. Hey, Lila everybody. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org. 